Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 5 today. John chapter 5, as we continue the Master's plan for disciple making, as we look today at genuine fellowship. Genuine fellowship. Fellowship is a very misused term, it's misunderstood. Usually, we say in churches, we're going to have a fellowship. Meet us in the fellowship hall as if by us calling it a fellowship or us meeting in a place that really makes it genuine Christian fellowship. It really doesn't. The true sense of the word fellowship is a a special bond. It's a sharing. Literally, it means to have something in common, to hold something in common with another person. As we think about the body of Christ, fellowship has to do with holding something in common with those other brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, look at John chapter 5 as we continue walking through this gospel and seeing Jesus introducing his disciples in this come and follow me phase. Remember the first phase of his call to discipleship is come and see. And now he said to those men, come and follow me. And he's doing some things that are revolutionary. Specifically here, he's healing people on the Sabbath, even in the synagogue. And look at verse 17 of John chapter 5. After he's confronted... But Jesus responded to them, those who didn't understand that he was doing this. Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He also does these things in the same way. Jesus is letting the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and his disciples know at this crucial, critical time in his teaching of them that fellowship with his Father is is critical if he's to have fellowship with them and to make an impact on the world. One other passage that we've looked at before in John chapter 13 Verse 34 and 35, as Jesus gives other instructions to his disciples, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, by your love for one another, church people, Jesus didn't say that, but I am. By this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that we're followers of Christ? By the way, we love one another. He says, this is how it's going to be done if you have love for one another. Jesus is letting them know in chapter 5 and in chapter 13, this bond that we have in Christ is going to be a crucial part of us communicating the gospel to people who have need of Christ. Remember last week, we said it's better not to call them lost people, instead to call them people Jesus misses the most. If we're to take the gospel to those that Jesus misses the most... We have to have genuine fellowship. That's what he's calling them to right here in this passage of scripture. Someone said, if we're attempting to have fellowship without a vital relationship with God, we are merely socializing. Folks, socializing is okay 
it's a good thing, but it's not going to win the world to Christ. It's not going to make that impact where all people will look at us and say, because of what they're doing, that's how I know they're true followers of Christ. And that's, that's because when they see that, they say, I want what they have. If we're just socializing, that's not about to happen. Jesus says to these Pharisees who say, how can you heal on the Sabbath? How can you do these things when by doing them you're breaking our ritualistic traditions and rules that we've made up? Jesus says, I tell you how I can do it. I do the way my Father does. I act and I work because my Father has called me to act and work that way. And I'm going to do what the Father does. In other words, show that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is saying to them, I do nothing apart from my Father So let's look at this. Jesus' disciples needed to know that that fellowship was important because they were on the front lines. Fellowship with their father and fellowship with others. And so we as his disciples are on the front line too and we need to know that. So we're going to look at four characteristics of genuine biblical fellowship this morning. There are many more, but I think these four will will summarize what uh, the intent of, of what real fellowship is. Number one, genuine fellowship is based on a person's fellowship with God. Genuine fellowship, my fellowship, my common bond that I have with you as other brothers and sisters in Christ is is dependent, it's based on my personal relationship with God. If I'm going to share with you, I need to share what God's doing in my life. I have to be in daily communication with my heavenly father. Jesus says here in chapter five, he says it throughout. In in chapter 14, 15, Jesus says, I have this bond with my father, this intimate relationship with my heavenly father. That's what makes it possible for me to do what I do. If you're gonna be involved in making disciples, if you're gonna be involved in being a follower of Christ, it's dependent that you understand it's based on your intimate fellowship with God. It has to be a daily fellowship with God. How many times have you asked in a small group for testimonies and, and the testimony goes back five years or 10 years or 20 years? Sometimes I just want to say, what's God been doing for you lately? Where has God been at work in your life today? I love hearing those testimonies about back when. I've got a few of those. The older I get, I have more of those. And the back when is even farther away. But I can't live my life on what God stirred in me 15, 20, 30 years ago. I have to live my life based on my intimate fellowship with God today. God gave us a picture of that when he gave the children of Israel manna. And remember, they were to have enough manna for the day, and that's all, and it would rot after that. God gave them manna every single day to remind us to be in his word every day. It's a reminder to be in communication, in fellowship with God every single day. See, our, our, our relationship with God this way, that vertical relationship with God shapes our horizontal relationship with others. I'll say it this way. You can't be wrong with others and claim you're right with God. And if you are right with God, you're gonna be right with others because God's Holy Spirit brings conviction when relationships aren't right. My relationship, my fellowship with you, my sharing, my common bond in Christ is based on what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. And it's based on my intimate, intimate daily walk with God. You wonder sometimes why churches aren't thriving. It's because individuals in churches aren't thriving in their relationship with God. Can I say that again? We wonder sometimes why churches aren't thriving. It's because those individuals in those churches aren't in a thriving relationship with God. 
We cannot expect to show up here Sunday morning having not walked with God during the week and expect him to do something incredible on Sunday morning just because we got together. Now, he's a good God. He's a gracious God. Sometimes he just shows up anyway. Isn't it good when he shows up in spite of us? When we haven't put him first during the week, sometimes we come together on Sunday and he shows up anyway and and ministers to us, but we can't just take it for granted that because we're here, we can check him off the rest of the week and say, okay, Sunday morning, I was there. I had fellowship with God. No, it is a daily thing. And it'll come through in your fellowship with other believers. How many times do we ask in a small group, what's God been doing in your life? And it'll get very quiet. And sometimes we say, well, he's been doing so much, I can't think of just one thing. And I know what that is. That's buying time so you can think of one thing. It ought to be, what's God doing in your life? And there's just nonstop sharing of the the activity of, of living and walking in obedience to God. In our grace groups, our small group ministry, we, we have an acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, for grace. G is for gathering regularly. R is for reproducing disciples and groups. And the A is for accepting one another. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the C is, is for connecting with others. And then the E reminds us to encourage one another through sharing. There's nothing like sharing in a small group what God is doing in your life, your personal struggles, for God to bond that group. I've heard over and over through the years as we've had our small group ministry, grace groups, about how one person will share a struggle they've had. And another person will say, I've had that same struggle. And the encouragement begins to take place. And and they begin to share how God is walking them through that struggle. And and the focus doesn't become the struggle. You know what it becomes? That relationship with God and how God's at work. So number one, genuine fellowship is based on your relationship with God. Has to be daily, has to be intimate. Number two, Genuine fellowship is characterized by total acceptance, by total acceptance. We won't go through and read all the passages here, but but we've learned as Jesus has called these disciples out, he's accepted them right where they were. Remember last time we looked at Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, and Jesus shows up and calls him to follow me, and, and he goes to his home and gets together this banquet, and he invites all of his friends who were, were all his rowdy friends. Hank, is Hank Jr.? Invites all his rowdy friends and Jesus shows up and accepts them right where they are because they were sinners in need of a savior. Genuine fellowship is characterized by total acceptance. Jesus says in chapter five, basically, I am totally accepted by my father. I have intimate fellowship with him. Whatever the father does, I do. And he's saying to his disciples, disciples, you need to accept one another the same way I have accepted you. There's an atmosphere of mutual dependence. Romans 15, 7, the Bible says, accept one another as Christ or as the Messiah has accepted you. Let that one sink in for a minute. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite writers, a godly pastor in Germany who resisted Hitler and was executed by Hitler for his resistance. Bonhoeffer, in the midst of all of the the struggle with the Nazi government, everything that was going on, Bonhoeffer led a small group of men in in obedience to this this calling to be together. He wrote a book called Life Together. Bonhoeffer says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. 
no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. You got trouble with somebody in the body of Christ? Bonhoeffer says, pray for him. And that that image that comes to your mind of that person won't be that person who who grates you the wrong way, who irritates you, who has hurt you or offended you. Instead, that that face will be transformed into the face of a person who's been redeemed and forgiven and transformed by the grace of God. I have a list that I read periodically. It's called, I'm a child of the king. A pastor friend put this together and he lists dozens of scriptures to remind us of who we are in Christ. And I just wanna read a couple of these. So we're gonna do this two part. The first part is I want you to think about how accepted you are by God. And then I'll tell you the second part right after that. These are all based on scripture. I'm not gonna read you the scriptures. I'm just gonna read you the summaries. I'm a child of the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am chosen, accepted, and included. I'm a citizen of heaven, a member of God's household. I'm loved by God unconditionally and without reservation. I belong to him, having been bought by his precious blood, the precious blood of Jesus. I have eternal life. I will be saved from all of God's wrath to come. Guaranteed, I am a Christian. I am not just different in what I do. It's who I am. My identity has changed. Who I am has changed. Everything has become brand new. I am a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. I have access to him anytime, anywhere, for any reason. I am God's creation, his workmanship. I am created by him and for him, so I am what, what I am, who I am and what I am matters. What I do matters. I'm spiritually alive. I've been set free from the fear of death, and I've been given life and a life to enjoy to the full. I am forgiven totally, absolutely, completely. And it goes on and on and on. That's who you are in Christ. Did, can you let that one sink in? That's part one. Part two is, that other person that you can't get along with, it's true for them too. Did you hear that? It's true for that person who may rub you the wrong way. who You may not like their level of obedience or disobedience. Jesus says, accept one another as I have accepted you. Pray for that person. See them as a person transformed by the grace of God in whom God's Holy Spirit lives and dwells. Genuine fellowship is a place of acceptance. I don't have to agree with everything you do. You don't have to agree with everything I do. But you have to accept one another. I have to accept you as someone God has redeemed. Next time you celebrate, I'm forgiven. Hallelujah. Remember, that other person's forgiven too. Hallelujah. Number three, genuine fellowship also includes the basic dynamics of spiritual life. Genuine fellowship, this common sharing together that Jesus was walking his disciples through, Include some dynamics of spiritual life. Look with me at Acts chapter two. Whenever we talk about the body of Christ, we go to Acts chapter two because this is the early church. This is God's description of what he was doing after Pentecost, after he sent his spirit to indwell believers and they preached and 
God worked a, a miracle. Verse 41 says 3,000 were added that one day. Look at verse 42. This is a description of the dynamics of spiritual life that take place in a body of genuine fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's, that's the word. To the fellowship. That's the commonality we have in Christ. To the breaking of bread and to prayers. The Bible says, fear came over everyone. Many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Verse 44, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. There's the word fellowship. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they, met, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. I love verse 47. That's what Jesus said. If you love one another... They will know that you're my disciples. That's what he's saying in verse 47. Having favor with all the people is that the people outside the fellowship saw the fellowship and there was favor. They acknowledged that God was there. So many dynamics of the spiritual life of a church are listed in this passage and I'm not gonna call attention to all of them but just highlight. First of all, first and foremost, they ate food together. That's a joke, first and foremost. I just threw that out there. But isn't it interesting that, that he mentions that, that they broke bread? And it does refer to the, to the community at first of the Lord's Supper, but it also refers to intimate fellowship. Do you know, we've said this over and over again, that one of the things that the Pharisees hated about Jesus is that he went into a person's home and reclined at their table and ate food with them. Couldn't stand it. You know why? Because in that culture, and much in this culture, to go into a person's home and to sit at their table with them and to share a meal with them is, is, is intimate fellowship. You're including them in your family. They could not handle that about Jesus. So when Jesus says they met together and had the breaking of bread, it means they had intimate fellowship with one another, intimate conversation. I think it's important to get together for times like that. We do that a lot here at this church. We get together for those times. We've got some men we meet on Wednesday mornings for breakfast to break bread and to have intimate fellowship. Some of you meet other times during the week. There's a Thursday night men's group that meets and they break bread before they, it's more than bread. I'm not, I don't want you to be motivated to be there, guys, because the food's good, but I'm just saying. That says we're, we're inviting you into this home and there's fellowship, there's intimacy that takes place there. They prayed together, the Bible says. They prayed together. You know what? You get to know a lot about a person when you pray with them. If they'll pray honestly. They'll pray honestly. Not with flowery words that they've heard in church. Not in King James only prayer language. But when they just open their heart up and, get, and begin to pray. I remember the first time I listened to a guy pray in my small group and it startled me. We had a couple of guys that we led to Christ in, in another church I pastored and we were doing, experiencing God together. I think that's what we were doing. We were meeting early in the morning in my office and it's still dark outside and the guy showed up and, and uh, we we're praying together and this one guy had just been saved a few weeks and he begins to pray just like he would talk on the construction site. 
And I'm like, whoa, you're in the pastor's study. But you know what? The guy was just opening his heart to God. He didn't know how to describe what was going on other than to say, blah. Prayer. Get, get with other believers and pray with them. Just be open and honest and transparent. One of the things we advocate here at Coastal Oaks is what we call conversational sentence prayers. And that is where we invite, if there's two or three or four people, to pray conversationally. This person may pray for subject A for a moment, a few sentences, and this person may pray for that same subject A, and this person may pray for subject A, and then it gets quiet for a moment, and this person begins to pray for subject B, and then we pray for subject B. Does that make sense? And, and it becomes conversational, and it becomes transparent. That's what they were doing. They were praying together. I think I could make a case that they were doing it that way too, but. Pray together with other believers. They were praising together. Worship. Worship. There's something of an opening of the heart that takes place when we praise God together. Whether it's a song or it's a, let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. There's an opening of the heart. Other things are listed in this passage. Of course, we've talked about the importance of the Word of God, uh, just the importance of meeting together, seeing the Spirit of God move. We, we do at this church. We share with one another the selling of possessions. But something that's implied in this that, that I think we need to be reminded of is, is, is that they also just did life together. They played and laughed together. I, I can't imagine Jesus and his disciples walking around looking like sour lemons all day. We're serving God. It's hard. It's tough, but we're doing it because we love God. I can see him horsing around. I can see them, a bunch of fishermen playing practical jokes on each other. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. I love that we laugh together. I love that. My reputation here, in case you haven't heard, I don't know that it's valid. <laughs> but my, my nickname is Eeyore. You know Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh cartoon, everything's going to be all that's a big black cloud over me. That's my reputation, and I don't think it's accurate. But God has put a bunch of people around me who love to laugh, and I love that. There was a study done recently. A book was written by David Brooks called The Social Animal, and in it he explores that people were designed for community. It's what we're talking about today, community, fellowship. And, and in one of those sections, he talks about how laughing takes place in groups versus when you're alone. Lots of statistics. I won't bore you with those, but we are 30 times more likely to laugh when we're with other people than when we're alone. He says when people are in bonding situations, laughter flows. And then he, he, he figured this out. Only 15% of sentences that trigger laughter are even funny. See? And in that study, they just come down to this, this, this deal that, that mundane parts of humanity, like laughter, 
are there because we're, it, we're hardwired that way to be in community, to laugh together. I just want to say they shared life together. When Jesus said to those guys, come and follow me, they lived life together. Yeah, they cried together. We've done that. Done a bunch of that this week. They laughed together. We've done that too. Before I go on to my last point, which some of you are ready for my last point, I know. Look at verse 47 again. All these things took place, and every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Can I say this? A byproduct of genuine community, of genuine fellowship is people will come to Christ. It's a natural. It's, it's going to happen. Can I say the antithesis of that is if we don't have genuine fellowship and community, it's not going to be a daily thing that people come to Christ. God's going to have to do it in spite of us. I want him to do it because we love being together. And let it be a byproduct of our relationship with one another. Number four, the fourth characteristic of genuine fellowship. Genuine fellowship meets specific individual's needs. Genuine fellowship, biblical commonality, community will see individual people's needs being met on a daily basis. I'm not going to read all these scriptures. Hebrews says we're to comfort those who are discouraged, help the weak. We're to, to promote good love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10 says encourage one another to come together. Boy, I've watched that happen in our small groups, in our connection classes, our grace groups. Somebody has gone through a difficulty, a crisis, a, a sickness, an illness, a cancer, whatever, and, and these small groups have just come alongside and met those needs. How many times has someone in the church come up to you, if they haven't, it needs to happen more often, but it happens to me all the time, can I do anything for you? They know I'm not feeling good, can I do anything? They know things are busy, can I do anything? They get a phone call, is there anything I can do for you? One time somebody said that, I said, yeah, you can mow my lawn. I was joking, they mowed my lawn. But there's this attitude that says, we, we aren't just here for the corporate body. Genuine fellowship means individuals are gonna have their needs met on a daily basis. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man does what? Sharpens another. And us being in community causes us to rub each other, sometimes the wrong way. Sometimes that's the way God is going to shape you. He's going to rub the rough edges off. And that's community. I've said it before as a joke, the Christian life would be a piece of cake if I didn't have to be around other people. Now That was a joke. But think about it, wouldn't it? I wouldn't have to worry about somebody guessing my motives as being wrong. I wouldn't have to worry about somebody accusing me of something. I wouldn't have to worry about somebody rubbing me the wrong way, being impatient with me. I wouldn't have to be impatient with them. It would be just me and Jesus. But he chose not to make it that way, didn't he? he? He saved us and put us in community, the church. One of my favorite YouTube videos it's got different titles. Battle at Kruger is one of the titles, but if you will just Google on there, Lion, Water, Buffalo, Crocodile. 
you will see nine minutes of one of those safari experiences where a herd of water buffalo are walking by a river and a pack of lionesses are, you know how they do, they always wait for the young, weak one. And they pounce on that one weak water buffalo and the rest of the herd scatters off. And so this water buffalo kind of falls down and works its way into the river. And these lions are trying to pull the water buffalo out of the river and a crocodile comes up and bites the water buffalo. And there's a tug of war that takes place. Fascinating. It is. The the lions win and they get this this young water buffalo up off the, the bank of the river and they're starting to devour it. And the camera pans back. And you see the rest of the herd come back. And they gather around the lionesses and their one down water buffalo. And you're wondering, what's going to happen next? Did I tell you? One by one, one water buffalo gets real aggressive and goes and flips one of the lions out of the way. And then they gather around. Another one gets flipped out of the way. Pretty soon they chase away these lions. And that one young water buffalo gets up and walks off with the herd. It has a happy ending, ladies, okay? (laughs) And every time I watch it, I think that is the church. When we walk off and leave one of our wounded, or when we walk off from somebody who's hurting, or the enemy attacks, but we can sweep in, swoop in, whatever, come back in and rescue You may be one of those wounded that's pulling out. That's just where the enemy wants you. He wants you to be isolated. Stu Weber says, masculinity is a team sport. Guys, we're to be with other believers. I'll say this, Christianity is a team sport. Let's don't isolate. Let's don't let the enemy attack like he does. Let's gather. Let's have genuine community. Will you pray with me?